0: what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, when should an entrepreneur panic? We'll tell you if we don't make a run for the emergency exit first. Today's topic is pricing strategies to make your business more profitable with our guest Cherie DeMeo, who is CEO, Strategy Maestro, and Chief Marketeer of SLD Unlimited Biz Growth Incorporated in Denver, North Carolina. Finally, we'll end up with our Small Business of the Month feature, where we'll highlight some businesses that we've come across uh, and that we, we think that you should check out. My name is Jeff Neuvel. I'm your co-host and director of the Small Business Center at Cataw Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is Dean of the School of Business Industry and Technology at Cataw Valley Community College. Gary, how are you doing today? Doing great for the dog days of summer.
1: Although, what we're going to talk about first uh, may been a little bit more challenging
0: the last few weeks with the stock market. That's right. We're, well, we're sitting here in early September. Back to school time. Yes. When you when you work at the college, you're you i am sure you've it's been, been a very busy three weeks. You've been scrambling question. around getting everybody settled.
1: Absolutely. They're doing well though, but it's been a very busy three weeks. Everybody settled? Except me.
0: Except you. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. So you mentioned the stock market. Yes. And we've been on somewhat of a roller coaster ride, and that was sort of the impetus for you know, when we were watching the stock market last week and the question came up when should you panic when should an entrepreneur
1: panic well i've been watching the stock market as we've been waiting uh every moment it's uh, a perfect uh topic that we should be talking about whether an entrepreneur should be panicking i mean stock market when they have these days you need to be very calm and take a long-term approach to your investments and understand if your plan is where it needs to be you don't want to do a off-the-cuff decision that might be a bad long-term decision
0: so you know when, when I thought about this question my first inclination was entrepreneurs should never panic because who wants to invest in someone that's running around like a panicky person all the time but there's probably that fine line between uh, you know emotion and passion but not going over to panic so so passion is great but don't panic control passion
1: controlled passion controlled passion because I mean, to be successful, you have to have passion and excitement. But you also have to be able to look at it from a realistic viewpoint and see if you do need to make changes or tweak things. You need to be able to do it. But when things go like the stock market, some of these things are out of our control. Most of these things are out of our control.
0: Yeah. Now, now I'm gonna I'm gonna date myself. I. I yeah, you know, I'm a sports fan. I used to, you know, I'm a tennis fan and I grew up watching Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe. I can I hear, remember them. I can hear our, our listeners tuning out now. They but anyway, them. you know, Bjorn Borg was always the guy that never showed any emotion whether he was winning or losing. You you couldn't, you know, great poker face while John McEnroe was throwing rackets, berating referees, uh, screaming and you know, and 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 I always sort of preferred the Bjorn Borg approach. Well, exactly.
1: They were fire and ice, just like you and I are. That's right. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I'm don't not know. sure how that. Yeah. We
1: may be ice and ice.
0: Yeah. Well. So going back to our entrepreneurs, uh, you know, to me, don't want to panic, but there are also times when an entrepreneur has to really act with extreme urgency. We'll call it. Well, we won't say panic. We'll call it extreme urgency. And and to me, those times are. If you have unhappy customers, you you no 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 you don't want to panic, but you better do something. Well, you, better, you need to react. You got to react. I mean. Yeah, the other things that come to my mind are uh, if something happens to impact your company reputation. Don't panic, but you better not wait. You Again, better, those are critical to
1: the customers and our image are what's going to sell things in the future. So we, those are things that you don't panic. But you react immediately.
0: And if you don't react immediately, then you're probably you're going to panic next week. And that's right. You'll be panicking because you won't have as many customers. So anyway, bottom line, you know, this, is, this is my life, the Jeff's life lesson for the day. You got know, uh, to worry about the things you can control. That's exactly right.
1: And you know, react. Be smart when you're reacting. Don't react uh, impulsively. But that doesn't mean if you've got a crisis that you don't need to react. And make I make some decisions.
0: I, I hope our listeners embrace us more than my children do.
1: I understand that. So
0: anyway, moving on. Okay, we're pleased to have a guest with us today, Shari DeMayo. Shari, how are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. As I as I said in our opening, Shari wears several different hats. Uh, the name of her business is SLD Unlimited Biz Growth Inc. The company is an award-winning firm specializing in solutions for entrepreneurs and small business. She's actually a published author. She's written two books, Me, Myself, and Inc., and 50 Marketing Secrets of Growth Companies And Down Economic Times. She's working, actually, on her third book. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh,
2: And so part of what we're talking about today is about what this book's about. It's profit sizing. So it's all about pricing, profitability, uh, sustainability in a company very excited to be working on it.
0: Well, we're looking forward to that coming out hopefully soon. Yeah.
2: So, so so
0: let's start talking about it because when when I work with entrepreneurs, Gary works with entrepreneurs one of the quick issues that comes up is, you know, what should I price my product or service at? And it's a, it's a real challenge and and one that people often make mistakes in. Right. And, and, you
2: know, you're talking about the whole panic and the reactive aspect of it. And too much pricing is done very reactively instead of proactively. So, you know, I always like to say no matter what the situation is, don't panic, but react proactively. Uh, you know, take it one step further than what the reaction ultimately tells you to do so when you're when you 're talking to people about uh, figuring out how
0: to price a product or service, what what elements do you tell people to be thinking about as they're as they're going through that process?
2: Well, one of the very first things they really have to get a handle on is their competition. And uh, that's where uh, what, what always amazes me is sometimes you'll have a business that'll say, "Well, I have no competitors." And a while ago, I used to say, "Well, are you Bill Gates?" Can't say that necessarily anymore <laughs> that's now. Right. Um, but uh, I would say, "Are you Bill Gates?" Because he was about the only one that didn't have a competitor right. at one point in time. And and then I say, "You may you may not have a direct direct competitor, but you have a lot of competitors." Right. And sometimes your competitor isn't even a company.
1: Right. It's it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a mentality that pulls for those resources. Somebody might buy one thing or another.
2: Yes, exactly. And so, but you have to start with, you know, competitors, even if you don't believe you have any, you know, anybody that is working in that space, whether direct or indirect, uh, is a source of understanding of what your pricing can be. And now you're not doing it to try to compete, to make it all about competing at a price level. You've got to be doing it from a standpoint of understanding where the price levels are competitively. Uh, and that's where people get uh, really turned upside down because they look at their competitive pricing and then they just automatically undercut it, not understanding if they're even comparing apples to apples, uh, not even understanding how they can distinguish themselves to justify a higher price. Or to value at a higher price. So they're not even justifying. They're not even having right. to deal with objections. So, uh, but, but if you don't know what the, what the market will bear from a mm-hmm. pricing standpoint, then, then, then you're literally just shooting a dart uh, at a dartboard, yeah. basically.
0: So, so job number one start with figuring out what your competition is doing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to do the same thing. Exactly. But you, you better use that as some sort of benchmark. Absolutely.
2: And, you know, and it's, it's just a beautiful thing. The internet's a beautiful thing for one. Um, because you can find so much out on the mm-hmm. internet, and almost everyone, no matter what kind of business they 're in now, has competitors that are marketing on the internet and putting their pricing up there um, you know also under understanding uh, there 's different parts of the country that you can compare yourself to if you, even if you 're a local business that the pricing is pretty similar mm-hmm. now, of course if you 're in the southeast you 're not going to compare to a company that 's charging in California. Because the pricing is totally off-whack. Like, I'm working with a client right now who has expanded into uh, the southeast and was able to do a five-time markup in California. Um, He's looking at more like a three-time markup here. Uh, And, again, you know, it's and then it really makes you wonder if California needs to be as expensive as it is. Right. That's for
1: sure. (laughs) Now, do you price uh, or work with companies in different industries oh, or yeah. specific industries?
2: No, it's entrepreneurs. So, okay. you know, pretty much any industry, okay. uh, business to consumer, consumer, you know, uh, business to business, business to, business to consumer and to business, you know, so and, and, and pricing can make or break a business no matter what, you know, services oriented businesses versus technology versus product versus a combination. Uh, so that's why pricing has been such a huge uh, soapbox for me. And love that I just taught a class, you know, did a workshop just a moment ago on it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, you are all warmed up. Yes, so. I am.
0: So now, now, question: you, you you work with companies that sell products? Yes. You work with companies that provide services. Yes. What, what are the challenges? And uh, to me, products always seem a little bit more finite. You know, you've got cost of materials, you know, cost of goods sold, you know, markups and whatnot. Try, figuring out the right pro- uh, price for a service, right. To me, feels like a Well, you know like what's really
2: interesting is when. You you talk about a service or when you talk about any business this is something that's been real eye-opening in working with companies and helping them understand the value of time being spent on a product on a service no matter what it is in the manufacturing floor whatever it is okay so um you know from a service standpoint or a product standpoint you have to look at the time being invested in uh, it from inception to delivery right. and whether you are a business that tracks time or not you better know what your time is doing for you or against you. And, and so one of the things that I've identified specifically in entrepreneurial businesses is what I call income based time, uh, uh, you know, analysis. And, and there's basically five areas of time that you're spending in your business that impact profitability and, and your ability to make sales. And it's income producing, income generating, income sustaining, income supporting, and income enhancing. Okay, Now, where a lot of businesses and entrepreneurs go awry, and again, this has nothing to do whether you track and build time or not, it's about how you are spending your time in your company, uh, is they spend way too much time on income sustaining and income supporting activity, and that's why they can't generate income, and that's why they can't continue to produce what they've generated. So let me talk. Generating is sales marketing activity. Okay, Producing is actually producing and delivering the product. Sustaining is maintaining the level so that, you know, it's like, it's like customer service, customer satisfaction, referral relations. It's helping sustain repeat sales. Okay. So boarding is operationally focused. It's accounting, it's safety, it's maintenance, it's those types of things. And then enhancing is what are you going to do next to build more income later? And honestly, enhancing is the one thing the entrepreneur should be a part of, and most of them are not because they're drugged down by these other doing areas. Doing the day-to-day things, yes, doing the day-to-day things, and so profitability is hugely impacted by where the where that owner is spending their time and not putting t- and not bringing on people or bringing on technology or bringing on resources that can do some of these supporting or sustaining activities, so that they can be doing the more higher end strategic type of decision making and and focused areas to bring. Bring more income in, which is ultimately should be bringing more profit in. And so this is always fascinating to the point where literally having them do job description. You know, nobody's overhead in a business. Some businesses think somebody's an overhead. You know, oh, that receptionist is just overhead, or that accountant is just overhead. Everyone has impact on income. Yeah. Everybody. It's certainly
1: a cost. Oh
2: yes. Wherever you So whether to they're impacting it. profitability, they're impacting, you know, the sales coming in, everybody impacts it. And if you think of them as overhead, then gee, that's why you're not profitable in some areas <laughs> right there. Exactly. It's nobody's overhead. So, so that, that is another thing to look at is where time is being spent and how it's being spent. And are you even accounting for time? Um, An example I, I love to give is, you know, you look at the cost. If you do a cost plus or, you know, a cost base, whichever one it is, whether you're doing a flat fee or you're doing a percentage above and beyond cost. too often, if you don't take time into consideration, when you really look at what you're costing something out at, you're not even making minimum wage for yourself. And this, is, this was a, an example of a very intricately created um, wood uh, artisan, okay, in one of these jury artisan shows. And I love giving this example because I, I love calling people out on their pricing, and I'm calling them out because they probably be, should be charging four times what they are, right? And so I wait till everybody leaves his tent, and he has this intricately, it looks like lace, but it's like it looks like porcelain wood creations, okay? And I buy one of these oval-shaped pieces that looks like, like lattice work with a hummingbird going to a petunia it was so delicate looking you'd never believe it was wood okay and he was charging 25 dollars for this thing and so I, I, I wait till everybody leaves you know i'm not going to embarrass him but i go you realize i probably would have paid about 125 or 150 for this this is this is a work of art and i said so before anybody comes in just talk to me he was making like two dollars an hour yeah. And no, it and it just with... it's it's because he wasn't considering his time and okay. also his artisanship, which has a whole other value added to it. It's a one of a kind pieces and he's not taking that into consideration. Yeah. So,
1: you see that a lot yeah. uh with undervaluing. I was thinking of a client that we've worked with that's actually one of our students, and the person was not putting any time in from their working at night when they got home from work and they were undervaluing their product. Mm-hmm. They could have been making a lot more and or covering their costs. Do you see as many people
2: overvaluing as undervaluing? I see more undervaluing. That's why it's such a soapbox for me. Okay. Um, in most cases people are undervaluing uh, what they're and and, and, and it's and it's a fear factor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a fear of a fear of failure. That's you know, one of the many things I talk about in Me, Myself, and Inc. is the fearful thinking and the wishful thinking. that's a fearful thinking factor. The fear of failure makes people underprice because they think they'll succeed. But, you know, it's a lot easier to lower your price than it is to, you know, to sure, increase yeah. it right away. So, um, so yeah, I think that that businesses have to not be afraid. But part of the reason they're afraid to go higher is because they don't know they can go higher because they haven't done some of the strategic due diligence to justify. And if they can't justify it to themselves, it's hard for them to justify it to their customer, right? Right. So that's where strategy comes in. So
0: it it sounds like uh, with with all the areas, the elements that you were talking about, people generally – don't recognize all the time they're putting into their their right. business or their product or their service, and 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 ultimately aren't getting paid for that time. Mm-hmm. And and you also talk about uh, the fear factor, and people often will undervalue their 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 products or services. And and you know we've talked before. I, I think we both think it's sort of a dead-end strategy to try to be the low-price guy oh, when you're a small is. business. There's always well, you, going to be someone that can undercut absolutely, you.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And especially in many cases, small, there's, there's probably very few examples where a small business isn't in some way, shape, or form competing with a much bigger business. And uh, you know, so the other thing that I encourage, you know, going back to that knowing your competitors first as a first-point uh, stop, um, is that you have to look at the th- basically there's only three ways that you can compete. Okay, that's it's it's either best price, best total solutions or best product or service, okay? And the goal is that you do one of them exceptionally better than anybody else. So that is your competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Then the second thing is you do at par, if you can do it a little better, awesome. And the third thing you don't even worry about, you don't try to compete. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's very rare that there's any company, I guess about the only company that has gotten away with best product and service, best price and best solutions is I would say Toyota. OK, they've done, you know, over time and time again, you know, but consumer reports, best product, you know, very competitively mm-hmm. priced. And they really look at the solutions, you know, mm-hmm. like leg room for back for very tall daughters. You know, I've got a Toyota, so that's why I can say that, <laughs> you know, so. so at it, but most of the time, it's you've got to pick two and you've got to accept. Now, where is it that small business has the toughest time competing of those three? Price.
0: Yeah.
2: So right. It's, it's but, be that's, nice. but that's where most of them go first which is just mind-boggling to me.
0: Well, and maybe, it's, maybe to them, often it's the simplest answer. I can lower my price. They might, they, they, and they'll try me. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, they'll yeah, give they me a try. That's a nice right. long-term <laughs> negative impact of doing that. Right. Uh, so that's, that's a problem. Hi, Alan and Chris here with an exciting announcement about something coming to the western North Carolina area later this year. It's the first ever Foot Candle Film Festival. That's right, an honest-to-goodness film festival that's happening September 25th through the 27th at the Salt Block in Hickory, North Carolina. Films are being submitted from all over the world to be considered. Do you or someone you know have a film that you'd like to submit? Visit footcandle.org and follow the link to the festival for instructions. Stay tuned later in the year as we announce our choices and start selling tickets. Visit footcandle.org for more information. We'll see you in September. Talk to us a little bit about how pricing strategies uh, send messages to your customers you know to me it's always important that your pricing be consistent with your brand
2: absolutely and, and
0: so and, you, and you know you and this gets
2: at and and this gets at understanding the psychographics of your market not just the demographics and the geographics where they live and you know such you really need to understand psychographically the psychology behind why somebody's buying and what what's important to them so I think the example I love to give is specifically there's different there's five shopping mentalities and there's shopping Five buying mentalities now, and the ones I like to go to first because this is where uh, businesses misunderstand is the price the price buyer versus the value buyer now what 's really interesting about the mentality of that is you can actually charge the same price to both, but it 's all in how you package it so like the price buyer is the fifty percent off the value buyer is the buy one get one free now if you do the math it 's the same price. Thing. But that's the difference. Right. Um, the value buyer wants more for their money. The, the price buyer wants to get as you know pay as little as possible. Okay that's the difference. And you know so example I love to give that gets at um, actually um, a prophesizing uh, exercise that I do it was with a landscape architectural firm who was specializing in uh, outdoor living centers. you know big this has become all the craze now. Um, what was interesting though, in some of our analysis is it wasn't the million dollar homes that were spending money on these outdoor centers. it was the like 300 to six hundred thousand dollar 40 something year olds with kids about to become teenagers and wanting these kids to be at their house with all of their friends. Okay, being the cool hangout place, right? Mm-hmm. So you can keep an eye on them, right? So, so, but what he was doing again? You're still talking at three hundred, six hundred thousand dollars. That's a middle, that's upper middle class, okay? So uh, he was charging a thousand dollars off a lens, you know, uh, uh, outdoor living space. Well, when you're spending twenty or thirty thousand, a thousand dollars really isn't that much. Yep, exactly. So once we analyzed all the aspects of an outdoor living center, yeah. we looked at what was profitable, what was least profitable in all of the functions of creating that incredible space and found out that lighting was the least labor intensive and the most profitable. So that meant that it could be something they could give away. So they shifted from a thousand dollars off to a free lighting system. well, who do you think bought? You know, everybody was all about yeah. that. And they didn't they, get in a deal. Yeah. It was a great deal. Mm-hmm. And in many cases it ended up being less than a thousand dollars.
0: So, so you got him in alignment in terms of his promotional strategy and with, pricing with, strategy. And, and, and see, that's what's customers.
2: powerful about understanding. So much goes into how you price and how you promote price. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, you got to know who's your value. If you're going after a value buyer, do not discount. Discounting won't work.
0: You have to know your audience.
2: You have to know your audience. Yeah, yeah. And, and get,
0: get everything within the marketing
1: mix and alignment.
2: Right, exactly. Consistent. Yes. That's,
1: that's why you see McDonald's at Walmart
2: yeah.
1: as opposed to Starbucks.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Good point. Of course, I do see my Starbucks now at Target. Well, you know, it's interesting because that's Target's a little bit yeah. wanting to be a shade higher than Walmart. This is this is true. But like actually I mean.
2: doing, that, uh, hurt, uh, uh, doing too much of that hurt, hurt um, Starbucks brand.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you've noticed that they pulled back on that as a result. Oh that's been one of their strategies. You have to be before. careful you're
0: not going to dilute your yeah. your brand. Yeah, by they started being to do in the that wrong place. It started to be
2: a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You, you you mentioned the concept and I know that uh, you you are writing about it, profit sizing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, talk to us a little bit about what profit sizing is and and how that can impact your business.
2: Yeah, and um, you know, it's interesting we're talking about McDonald's the supersizing. So profit yep. sizing is basically supersizing your profits is what I like to say. And basically it's because most businesses when they're looking at uh, pricing their products or services they only look at their products and services okay and and when they look at their products and services they're only looking at what it costs them they're not looking at what it costs to operate to to provide them and what could possibly impact and over you know 30 years working with business owners I've just identified all these intangible aspects that directly impact, um, their ability to make a profit off of one thing or another. So if we just look at the products and services, you look at things like what is least uh, labor-intensive? Mm-hmm. Um, what is most in demand? What, uh, what is most distinctive against competitors? What, is, uh, what do you have internal competency for and internal expertise? Now, you may have expertise, but you still have to outsource the competency. You might have to outsource actually creating the product, but you have the expertise and have the knowledge about it. But then if you have both, that could be an advantage. So you look at all these things that are out there amongst your operations, but if you don't understand how they're impacting your pricing, then you may be underpricing or you may be um, not taking into consideration even how you package something with something else in, in pricing and taking mm-hmm. it to market. Uh, but you don't stop just at products and services. That's where you begin. Okay, then you've got to look at market segments, and you also have to look at ge- geography. Now, geography is really fascinating for me, but let's talk a little bit about the market segments. You know, when I gave that landscaping example a little bit uh, ago, you know, we did the product and services analysis. Then we started doing the, the market segment analysis. And what we found is while all the competitors were focusing on the million-dollar homes for those outdoor centers, nobody was focusing on that three hundred 600000 Okay. And we did a little data trending in his in, in his database to figure that out almost immediately where he was getting some sales and where they actually weren 't as much of a pain to work with <laughs> and so 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 that got at uh, when you're looking at your geographic, um, you're, you're looking at your market segments, you look at, you know, who is who, is, who values what you're bringing to the table beyond just the price, okay? Who um, Who is more likely to be a referral source for you? Who is, uh, who is seeking all of the type of capabilities that you offer, not just one piece of it, that type of thing? So you look at all of these different segments, and then you start prioritizing your segments based on who was going to use, oh, my gosh, your most profitable services and products, okay, and buy them. So then you move to the geographic side of things, and the landscape architectural is a good example, again, because they were just local. You're talking 40-mile radius, okay? So you're thinking, well, how do you have geographic pockets in a local? Well, you do. Mm-hmm. And so what we looked at was the um, while everybody else was looking at the very high end communities that were in, you know, old areas of the of the city and the new areas, uh, up and coming areas of the city, um, we looked at the suburban areas of the city because that's where more of these upper, you know, middle class homes were, and none of the competitors were focusing on that. I mean, this this landscaper now monopolizes. Entire neighborhoods. They are the place. They are also one of the number one landscaping companies in their community. and are they
1: see people following them? Pardon. Are, are the competitors following them now that they've been successful? You know, it's
2: successful? really interesting. You are getting some, but they 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 are so far ahead of the game. They're growing so fast. I mean, to give you an idea, during the down economy, um, you know, they were at twenty some people. They're now at fifty people. They've continued wow. to grow. Right. And it's because they were looking at markets that nobody else was looking at, and that's you know that's strategically what you do. That's they were, they were meeting do. a need nobody was meeting.
0: Exactly, right. they got mm-hmm. established first, and that's yeah, right, it's hard to beat them then.
2: Right, exactly.
0: Right. You know, I think one of the things that we talked about early on was mistake that a lot of people make is underpricing their product or yes. service. And, and you probably run into situations where you recognize that and you're working with a client to say, we got to figure out a way to, to get your prices up to right. cover costs, to make you more profitable. And as you, I think you said, it's a lot easier to reduce prices than to raise prices. Right. When you when you're mm-hmm. when you're working with someone to raise their prices, do you have any helpful hints for how you? can Well, there are several things we have to look at. As
2: part of what we're going to have to look at is how we can streamline and make them more efficient. So how their pricing now can bring more profit to them because most of the time, there's issues. I you know give an example of a, a cabinetry company who um, was inundated with, I mean, that great reputation couldn't keep up with demand, uh, but exhausting himself because he was spending so much time estimating, but investing in a tech technology software that could help him spit out an estimate just like that mm-hmm. allowed him to focus more on pr- you know, producing product. And so because he was losing, he was having to undercut his pricing because he was having to wait, you know, people are having to wait,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: they wanted him. And then I had to get him out of that mentality of, okay, maybe you're worth the wait. Why are you cutting your price? I had to do this with an interior designer too, who um, she started actually charging for her uh, consultations. It used to be, and especially, um, you know, in in uh, you know in in like the Carolinas and certain areas of the country where furni- furniture is where it was at. Um, interior designers made their money off of you know the percentage of markup cost plus is how they made their money. So they weren't valuing their creativity at all. Right. It was all about making money off of the markup. And so this one interior designer had been around for 30 years, had an incredible reputation. And I said, you need to charge by the hour. You need to charge. And she was like, no, I can't. And yes, you can. And so she started charging by the hour and not only did, and, and oh, she would give a certain percentage off once they purchased the and see, this was the other thing that was happening with a lot of venture designers, is they were um, waiting for that cost plus, but then if somebody lives in a mecca where all of it can be bought directly, they would do this design, and then they wouldn't get paid because they weren't buying from them either. Mm-hmm. They weren't doing, so they weren't even getting the cost plus. So, so it was great to see that industry start to charge for their creativity, just like any other d- industry charged. You know, architects charge for their creativity. I said you know, customers
1: and, see the value. Of yeah. So charging why why
2: wouldn't an a designer bit. charge? So I'm very proud to. Uh, yeah, I believe I actually started that trend. <laughs> Getting them to start charging by the hour.
0: So, well, yeah, I always want you know being able to show your customers the added value mm-hmm. or the value is the way that you can justify your prices.
2: Absolutely, yeah, so. absolutely. And you know, there's there's nothing greater than dealing with all objections before they even happen. Okay, And so I call that um, value in the details. And so I encourage a lot of of businesses to really look at, if you've done your competitive analysis and you understand how you are the best total solution or how you provide the best service or the best product or whatever, then what you do is you literally, testimonials are fabulous. But don't just get testimonials from customers. Get testimonials from anybody that might touch your business. Uh, Going to a residential designer, actually, one of the things that was done is um, she charged a certain she charged a higher a dollar per square foot than her, uh, competitors for construction plans. Now, one thing that she wasn't touting was she was the only, uh, designer that also had a general contractor's license. So she actually knew how to do a construction <laughs> plan. And so that in and of itself was worthy, but it still wasn't enough. Okay. Cause she was still getting beat down on her price and she wanted to reduce it. And I said, no. So basically we talked to plumbers, we talked to electricians, we talked to general contractors and all of them, and even homeowners and talked to them about, the value that she brought with these construction plans. And one of the biggest nightmares, especially when you're talking about high end homes, which she designed is change orders Mm -hmm. and reason change orders happened. A lot of times is because the design didn't really consider how it actually had to be constructed. Mm -hmm. So it was a great design, but then the contractor had to figure out how to make that design constructible. And then the contractor looks bad because the designer didn't know that part of the detail. And then, oh, we got a change order. It's going to cost more. So it kind of sucked for the contractor, didn't it? Right. So contractors loved this designer because it made them look good, and the homeowners loved it because they, you know, anyone who had built before, wow, there, aren't any, there weren't any change orders on this one. Save them money
0: in the long run. Big time you money. Pay, pay a little bit more up front with your designer, but uh, mm-hmm. you'll save money in the end. So exactly. the
2: value and the details mm-hmm. cannot be underestimated, but you got it. you have to drill down and know what they are. I mean, every business should do that anyway yeah. to distinguish themselves. Yeah. So,
0: well, uh, r- very good points, and you know, you know, p- you know, understanding the market, you know, taking the time to do the pricing, you know, very critical to make it all work successful. We- Really appreciate you joining us today. Absolutely. If people want to find you, where can they find you online or what's the best way to get up with you?
2: Um, the best way right now is at uh, www.sldunlimited.com. That's the website for my overall company. And, okay. and then the book, me, myself, and ink.com and 50marketingsecrets.com.
0: So. But if we go online, we'll find those. Absolutely. And, Amazon or Amazon, or, Bards
2: and Noble, wherever wherever, wherever. books are sold.
0: <laughs> Fantastic, <laughs> and, and they can also find you in Denver of the East.
2: Absolutely, so. very proud to be there.
0: <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming by. We're gonna we're gonna move to uh, we're gonna end up with our our small business of the month, uh, uh, Gary. What do you got for us this month? Well,
1: thanks, Jeff. I'm excited to tell you about my small business of the month because it's close to my heart and my stomach. It's a Chicago-based business that I'll be trying in the very near future because with our busy lives, probably all three of us, sometimes making a good, healthy meal at home isn't very convenient. But this Chicago startup, Home Chef, is trying to change that for my wife and me. Home Chef's a delivery service providing meals, materials, everything you need, to, including instructions of how to cook this meal, and I can have different meals as opposed to my McDonald's coming out of Walmart. And
0: the prices, good, good for your diet, too. It yeah. is very good. much
1: better than what I'm eating, which I had at McDonald's, that new chicken sandwich uh, last night. It, it was okay, but I probably won't go back. Uh, but these are $9 a serving, but, of course, I don't eat that much, so I can get two days out of it. Uh, they, uh, their mission is to make home cooking easy and efficient, and it works for people that are on the go and working hard, uh, and I'm looking forward to trying this new creative way of feeding me.
0: You know, you're, you, when, you Ever, start, when you start your small business a the month, I, knew, I usually know where you're heading. I'm, I'm, the, it, I'm happy to hear that at least it's a little healthier than your typical that's uh, right. your business. That's right. It's
1: head. not uh, bakery goods or candy. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, good for you. You're moving in the right direction. That's right. Yeah, and, you know, I, that, that weight problem that you struggle with, I'm I, sure, is going to go away I, short. Exactly. I, I say that in that Gary does not have a weight problem. But I can, anyway. I can stress it off. Uh, well, my small business of the month is a company called Yoke, Y-O-L-K, which has developed a, a product that I thought was really cool called Solar Paper. It's a paper-thin solar charger, which is lighter than a, a lot of cell phones and only about the size of a lot of cell phones. Uh, it's got solar panels that, uh, uh, that really make it the world's thinnest and lightest solar charger. Uh, it's only one and a half millimeters thick. Unlike most solar chargers on the market, it features modular panels that connect via embedded magnets. So if you want more power, you can connect up to four panels together. Each individual panel generates a minimum of 2.5 watts of power. I say that. I'm I'm reading this. I don't really know what 2.5 watts of power means in the great scheme of things. Sounds impressive. I know. But on a sunny day, it's uh, really as good as a wall charger for charging up your phone. It's also got some built-in things to help... uh, avoid the hassle of manual restarting when the when light drops it'll do that for you Uh, and a lot of solar chargers don't do that Uh, it's been programmed to automatically resume charging when there's enough sunlight out there so when there's a clouds overhead don't worry once once they go away it'll kick back in there's a basic two-panel version which is good for mobile phones cost $69 Uh, they ran a successful Kickstarter campaign their goal was $50,000 they raised a million. Holy moly! So uh, yeah, they're going to be shipping it this fall. You can check them out uh, on Kickstarter either under Solar Paper or Yoke, or you can go to their email, which uh, their website, which is yokestation So that's my small business of the month. Exciting. So anyway, we appreciate everyone listening. We, uh, if you have a suggestion for the small business of the month, you can send it to to Gary and I at e Exchange for Entrepreneur Exchange e Exchange at themesh.tv. If we pick yours, we've got a little prize pack that we send out to folks. We sent one out a couple of months ago, so we have started to accumulate some more things that we need to get rid of. We've got a lot so of different things staplers. I want to uh, thank Cherie uh, DeMayo uh, for coming and joining us today. My
2: pleasure. Absolutely. And we
0: thank The Mesh. So please download us at uh, TV or iTunes, and we'll look forward to seeing you next month. Sounds good. We'll be talking about football
1: next month. We yeah, might that's be doing for that. for
2: sure. Yeah.
1: All right. Take care. Take care.
2: Thank you.